Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, the editor of GP Online. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking to Dr. Matt Harris and Dr. Connie Youngkas Minton about an initiative that involves community health and wellbeing workers that's been adopted in Connie's practice in London and is also being rolled out to practices in other parts of the country. It's based on a long running scheme from Brazil and it's already had some impressive results in London improving the use of health services among patients that will hopefully result in better health outcomes. Matt, who's now a clinical senior lecturer in public health medicine at Imperial College London, saw the scheme in action firsthand when he worked as a GP in Brazil, and it was his idea to bring the model to this country. Coming up, he explains how the scheme works and why he thought it could help people in the UK. Meanwhile, Connie discusses how her practice introduced the initiative for some of their most deprived patients and the impact it has had. So, Matt, this scheme is based on a health initiative that's kind of commonplace in Brazil, and it's something that you came across while you were working there. When did you work in Brazil, and what exactly were you doing there? Yeah, so I I qualified in medicine here in the UK um, and did my pre-registration health jobs, but then straight after moved to Brazil and qualified as a GP there. I landed in um, a municipality, a very poor municipality called Camaragibe in the state of Pernambuco, which is in the northeast of Brazil, in 1999, a long time ago now. And I was there for about four years um, in a single-handed GP practice with about 5,000 residents on my list. So I I was working out of a very rudimentary clinic. I had a nurse and a nurse auxiliary within the clinic. And I was working with four community health workers who were employed by the municipality but living and working in the geography that I was responsible for. So I was running essentially a single-handed GP practice in a very, very poor region. We had issues of no sanitation, very rudimentary electricity supply, very poor running water issues, um, lots and lots of infectious diseases, lots of poverty, people living in mud huts um, and on top of rubbish dumps. You know, it was a very, very difficult context to do practice primary care. Um, but it was um, an extraordinary experience because of the way in which community residents are employed and deployed to support the delivery of primary care in a context as challenging as that. And then after that, I came back and I did my master's and then PhD and became a consultant in public health within. But through that experience, I came to really realize that we had a lot to learn in how we do primary care from how they do it in in Brazil, in fact, Um, particularly through the use of the community health workers. This scheme's about using community and health and wellbeing workers. What exactly is it and how does it work? How did it work in Brazil? The idea of a community health worker isn't new and certainly not something Brazil conceive. Many countries have community health workers, but what I think is really interesting about the Brazilian model that is particularly unique is the way in which they're deployed. So I'll just explain the three or four core principles that they adhere to in their strategy. The first is that the community health workers are employed full-time from the community, and they are allocated to a geographical area of around 150 households that they are then responsible for. And they have a mandate to visit every household within that patch once a month, at least. So they just simply knock on doors, pop in, have a chat, build relationships, have a cup of tea, make sure everything's okay, and then move on to the next house. And they'll do about 10 or 12 visits every day. The second really important feature that's quite unique to the Brazilian model is they're not a parallel system. They actually are part of the primary care team. So a bit unlike what we have in the UK, the community health workers there 
are actually health professionals as well as community residents. And so they have this mandate, they have this professionalization, they have a way to communicate with and work closely with the primary care team. And then the third really important feature is that they are not focused on any one particular clinical disease area or demographic group or age group or anything like that, which again is very different to what we'd see in the UK. The community health workers in Brazil look at the entire individual, the entire household and the entire community holistically and comprehensively. So they would be as interested to look at immunization uptake, screening uptake, health check uptake, management of chronic diseases, care of the elderly, social isolation, domestic violence, truancy from the schools, breastfeeding support, healthy lifestyles, weight loss, smoking cessation, you name it, they will get involved and be get busy with any of those sorts of things and be trained to deal with them at a, to a very low technical level, but nevertheless be able to provide that support. So you start to see with those three features a really unique deployment of community health workers and very different to how we do it in the UK. How did you find that approach was sort of helping people where you were practicing in Brazil? What kind of impact were they having on local people? Immeasurable impact. So for my personal experience, it was incredibly valuable because the community health workers were my ears and eyes. So as as the GP mm-hmm. in the community with 5,000 people on my list, yeah. that's two or three times more than we have actually per GP here in the UK. But we were nevertheless able to deal with 80 to 85% of all primary care issues within the clinic because the community health workers were spotting things early before they became really serious. They were dealing with lots of issues in the community that I didn't then have to deal with in my clinic people needing a conversation or support with their medicines adherence or whatever it might be, a good amount of my workload was actually just being dealt with by the community health workers closer to home. So they unearthed issues that we would otherwise not be aware of. They dealt with the unknown unknowns. This sort of proactive approach was absolutely invaluable from my point of view. But I would say for the community, it was invaluable as well because they were not just health professionals. They were also community members. And so for residents, there was there was a different type of trust that could be built with community health workers than they would have with doctors or nurses because they identified community health workers as, as part of their community. You know, I spot that, you know, there were lots of, I don't know, pregnant women that month or something within their patch. And so they would put on a breastfeeding support group, sort of get them together and chat about issues around breastfeeding. Or there might be uh, a lot of adolescents in their area who were looking a bit bored and not knowing what to do and maybe at risk of entering into gangs and things like that. So they would gather them together and put on you know, social groups and and other things to sort of galvanize the community. But I would say that the really, really important observation has come out of the studies that have been done at national level around the Brazilian model. And I would say that they're really compelling. Studies were published in the British Medical Journal back in 2014 that showed that where there were municipalities that had high penetrance of this system of lots of community health workers visiting all the households within the municipality over a long period of time. Compared to municipalities that didn't have that system, there was a 34% reduction in cardiovascular disease mortality. So that's a really significant population health outcome. So at scale, you're going to start to see these really important population health outcome shifts at national level. There are now 275,000 community health workers in Brazil, 
covering 75% of the population and 95% of the, of the municipalities. These small interventions can have enormous impact at scale. Um, and it's a really, really important model to learn from. So when you came back to the UK, did you just think, why don't we have it here? Why did you decide to try and get it up and running in this country? Did it just seem like such a, a no-brainer, really, that we should have such a model? I have to say, I've always felt it to be a no-brainer. And I've been in an, in, in an interesting <laughs> position because I can see both systems, you know, with some clarity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's been, it's been a long journey, let's put it that way, to sort of uh, get this off the ground um, here in the UK. It's been about 20 years to, to get to where we've got to. Right. Um, and there's lots of good reasons for that. It's a complex thing to do to bring something over from any an innovation from any other setting into one another setting is is complex um but it was apparent right from the get-go that we needed something like this i think because the nhs particularly primary care has moved in a direction that is really unsustainable to a large extent i mean we Yes, it's underfunded, but also we don't we work in a rather inefficient way to a large extent. We seem to develop initiatives, I would call them vertical initiatives within primary care, that respond to problems that are perceived or experienced downstream in tertiary care. But what that results in is, is a real fragmentation of the system. So we have, let's say, community health workers in the UK that focus on specific clinical conditions. And that's terrific. It's all about prevention. But it has led to a plethora of different initiatives that are now really difficult to navigate. We now have navigators to navigate the system for patients. So that clearly suggests that something's not quite working right. In Brazil, what they've done is look at, well, what are the needs of a community? And let's deploy a single person that can cover those needs in a smaller area, but more efficiently by looking at every household in a holistic fashion. So it feels like a, a much more efficient approach to primary care. The way we're doing it at the moment, we're very data driven, which is important, but the data only reflects people that have already entered the system. What about the people that haven't entered the system? We have no way of tackling or identifying people that aren't known to the system. You have to have a door knocking approach where people can actually knock on doors and find out how people are in order to achieve that. And that's really the only way to unearth unmet needs, to improve inequalities. You said it's taken like 20 years to get to, to this point where it's actually going. So how have you got it off the ground? Where did you get funding from? Who's been involved in it? And how did you get it started when i first came back i was you know waxing lyrical about the community health workers in brazil but largely unheard um because probably i didn't have a platform at the time to really make that obvious i had to really build my platform in order to be able to have a voice at the same time the evidence was emerging from brazil that this was at scale a system that was really really rather effective and having significant population health outcomes so that helped reinforce the message another part of the problem is that we very rarely pay attention to countries that are beyond our traditional gaze let's say within the uk so brazil is not a country unfortunately i would argue that we have ever really paid attention to in terms of sources of innovations and there are many other countries in the global south south america and africa and southeast asia that we very rarely surface as good countries to pay attention to but these are often countries that develop very innovative cost-effective healthcare solutions we might call them frugal healthcare solutions that perform just as well, if not better, as what we're doing in the UK. Many of the blocks that I came across over the last few years has been about attitudes to this evidence base from Brazil, rather than actually 
objectively into understanding what that evidence was about. But in terms of the funding, this is, I have to say, a, a very complex thing to get funded. And it, it was only really possible because we were able to, being at Imperial College and covering the Northwest London footprint and having close partnerships within the NHS and local authorities within Northwest London, it was, it was Westminster Council that pump-primed the small pilot in Churchill Gardens just to see if it would work. So who are these community health and wellbeing workers? Where have they come from? And are they different from social prescribers? And how are they different from social prescribers? It's a really good question. So social prescribers are a super important role and they've been around for many years and they do some really important work, don't they, around behaviour change, motivational interviewing, uh, really addressing complex issues. But social prescribers are different to this role in very important ways. Firstly, people have to be referred to a social prescriber. They're not proactive roles, they're reactive roles. And so in order to be referred to a social prescriber, that person has to first engage with the system and request help. But a lot of people aren't yet there. They also are transactional, which it means that once that episode of service provision has concluded, those individuals are discharged back into the community. And there isn't any further involvement until another problem arises, perhaps. Whereas community health and wellbeing workers, the way we're deploying them based on the Brazilian experience, not only proactive, so door knocking, unearthing problems in their community, there's no discharge. They continuously engage with their residents, build those relationships and trust so that from one month to the next, they know before almost anyone else if someone needs a bit of help. So the community health and wellbeing workers will probably do a little bit of social prescribing at a lower technical level. They'll help people understand what problems they might have and how to solve them. But it won't be in such a detailed, perhaps, or intensive way as the social prescribers do currently. The people who have taken on this role in London, which was the, the Churchill Gardens project, which is the first one, where did they come from? I mean, how did you recruit them? What kind of skills have they got? What's their background? So we recruited firstly just four community health and wellbeing workers. We advertised the role through the community champions pools. We thought that community champions would be a great place to recruit from because these are people who are passionate about their community. So we recruited four of those. One is actually a former nurse who's retired. Another one had done a social care degree, but from lots of different ethnic backgrounds, a real diverse array of wonderful, wonderful women. But they didn't have any particular other qualification. We were very much looking for people who were problem solvers, that had discretion, that could understand the importance of confidentiality, the understand the importance of problem solving, uh, know how to work with people, be culturally competent, be emotionally intelligent. Those are the skills that we were looking for rather than particular qualifications. Did you have to give them any training then about what to do with people? So we adapted the training that they do in Brazil into the UK. And most of what we could, what we needed was actually provided already on e-learning for health. It came to around three weeks or so of online training that community health and wellbeing worker once recruited had to do. Things like you know, data management, confidentiality, loan working, safeguarding, some of the important principles of how they would need to work. We touched on some common clinical conditions like diabetes and hypertension. And that felt just enough for them to sort of get started. But really, the important training happens over time. 
the community health and wellbeing work, as I mentioned, are fully integrated into the local practice that serves Churchill Gardens called Pimlico Health. And each week they meet with the GP there, the lead GP who supports the community health and wellbeing workers to discuss complex cases, upskill them on clinical conditions where necessary. The community health and wellbeing workers now are being trained to use blood pressure cuffs, for example, uh, to monitor blood pressure in the home. Things like that. You can bolt on lots and lots of additional skills as necessary or as deemed a priority for that community over time. So, Connie, you work at Pimlico Health at the Marvin and are also a clinical fellow in primary care at Imperial College London. And your practice includes this area called Churchill Gardens, where this scheme has been running. Can you explain a little bit about the patient population in your area and in that Churchill Gardens area in particular? Yes, we're in Westminster and we have quite varied population very diverse population. We have extreme wealth and extreme poverty right next to each other. In Churchill Gardens in particular, it was built in the 50s as one of the biggest social housing projects. And it is now home to about 30% of people who are not English speaking in their household. It has a large immigrant population. It has about 44% single households. So there's a lot of loneliness and social isolation as well. Just under 10% have five or more people in the household. And uh, it's a very transient community, not always voluntarily transient. In medical terms, we've got very low immunisation and cancer screening rates, a high chronic disease burden. How did you come to become involved in it and why did you want to get involved with it? So I work with Dr Matt Harris at Imperial and, and when you told us about it, I was immediately hooked. It makes so much sense to me. In a way, it's a, it's a little bit like the olden days when you used to have the village GP who uh, knew the entire community and was there for them. We we're not going to go back to this model, but this felt this could be a, a way forward to provide a bit more continuity. I, I think as GPs, uh, many of us are frustrated with the fragmented care that we're delivering at the moment and there's also a sense of moral injury that you know that you can't do quite as much as you'd like to do for your patients so this felt to me like something that could be in that space to to provide the continuity that we're not able to provide at the moment. When you were sort of thinking about it do you particularly have Churchill Gardens in mind as an area where it would be good to try it out? I knew also from uh, my public health work that uh, Churchill Gardens is a very difficult community, so very uh, persistent poverty. And we know that the life expectancy gap between men in Churchill Gardens and men up the road, 15 minutes up the road in Belgravia, is about 18 years. So nothing we've done so far has really made a difference to that. So... This felt like I wanted to give that a try, particularly looking at the evidence that we have from Brazil. So I was really impressed by the breastfeeding rates, how they were very similar in Brazil to how they are now here in the UK. And um, they've gone stellar with the community health workers. Um, Good evidence, solid evidence that shows that the immunisation rates were increased in those areas that have community health workers, cancer screening uptake, perinatal really outcomes across the board from from prevention to acute care, um, avoiding hospital admissions, all of that. And I thought, you know, this is something, 
it's really worth trying in my opinion because I can't see anything else making a difference at the moment. So how did you actually go about rolling it out in your practice? So I approached uh, our principal GP partner, Dr. Sheila Niyogi, about this. Um, And like myself, she immediately understood the benefit of this. She's been um, a seasoned GP um, in in that practice for decades. Uh, She knows this community really well. And... um, was also frustrated by how little the GPs can do in that area. So she said, why not? Let's give it a try. And she brought everybody else on board in the team. Uh, We then um, sorted out contracts, integrated them in the practice. And what was really important is that we let all the patients know about this. We told them who the community health workers were and um, what they're there to do. Just to say, it, it it's taken a long time to integrate them properly, and they're not even there yet. So um, change takes time. And we're in the NHS, we're kind of all about six months trials and quick evidence. And um, when you invest in the community in that way and invest in relationships, you really need to give it a good chunk of time. Sort of WHO puts it at five or six years to embed um, an intervention in the community. And we're certainly seeing that um uptake sort of slowly coming along and it's really coming into its own now but it's been two years. This initiative was initially pump primed by the public health grant from from the local authority. We're very grateful to the council for um, giving this a try. So the community health workers were initially employed by the local authority with honorary contracts with the practice and uh, we were looking towards more sustainable models so now they are transitioning to the voluntary sector in the locality. And how does it work on a sort of day-to-day basis from the practice's point of view? Yeah, so the the community health workers are well-known faces now on the estate and in the GP practice. Uh, they they are mainly out in the community, so they work very closely with our family hub. They go out and about door knocking, and I think that is what makes the difference. They are really really close teams, so they let each each other know where where they are during the day. Uh, they also might go as a team if something is a bit difficult. They will come to the practice. I meet with them um, every Monday morning to discuss difficult cases, anything that kind of they wanted to reflect on in the in the past week. I act as a little bit of a clinical filter, but I just want to point out um, I'm not kind of special to this intervention. It doesn't just work because I'm there. Um, it just works because with all all roles, really GPs, community matrons, social prescribers, community health workers, you need good support, pastoral support, clinical support, good integration, good training and supervision and intervision. And we're not particularly good at that in the NHS. And that's kind of reflected in the high staff turnover and burnout. And and I think um, this has just shown a light on how important it is to sit together as a team and and work with together for the residents. So in those meetings, do do they sometimes come to you with concerns and patients that you you might need to follow up? Yes, definitely. So so there's a real uh, working together and in parallel and that's quite different from from a lot of the things that we have now are sort of episodic uh, referral based so they might come to me about a patient that they're concerned about 
or um, they, they don't know where where to take it, and I'll advise them who, who to contact about that. So the patients always know that we're working together and we're talking, and, and patients really like that. The integration is really important, so they have agency to reach out to whom, whomever they feel is appropriate. So they might um, connect to the health visitor or the community matron about somebody. Um, they might go to the safeguarding lead of the practice about a safeguarding issue, so um, the more they know people and their roles, the, the more effective they are. One of the things I was quite keen to talk to you about was how the patients have felt about it. What's been the reaction of, of people on the estate to it all? We've been really surprised by um, how positive it's been. I mean, we expected a lot of rejection. Uh, one of the things that people often came up with when we talked about this model in theory was, well, this is step definitely different from Brazil British people wouldn't really like that so kind of you know it might be a bit intrusive and and we haven't found that at all I think the 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 fact that they wear uniforms so they have a fleece and a t-shirt that has the logo of the health and well-being workers on it they have a lanyard um the practice has carefully told the president uh, the the residents about this uh, initiative so so in some ways People knew already what was coming, but also because they're knocking on doors, they, they're able to explain it better in person. And it takes time. It's kind of a gentle approach. It's just saying, here's my calling card. I'm here. Uh, I'm, I'm with the practice. If there's anything you need, um, give me a call. I might be able to help. And they have initial meetings where they just set out to get to know the household. I mean, it's not kind of going in like we like to do in the NHS where we go or oh, you haven't had your blood pressure checked for a while or you need your cervical screening without any context so they're they're much better at getting to know what that household is all about and then they might um, tag on their conversations about health as as they see fit but they have the benefit of time often people say you know do you do you uncover need that's that doesn't really need to be found you know are you just creating a lot of work we definitely haven't found that. The patients sometimes say, I don't really need anyone. My, my neighbour needs needs you much more. It takes a bit of time for, for patients to realise how useful this role is. From your point of view, have they helped you sort of understand what's going on in your local community more? Definitely. I feel I know my patients a lot better um, understanding that bit of what what's going on in their lives, which we often don't know. It is, of course, up to the resident to say whether they want to share this with the GP. So, so the, the information lies with the community health workers, and sometimes they'll say, I don't want the GP to know about this, and that's absolutely fine. The trusted relationship is with the community health worker, but sometimes they'll say, I want my GP to know about this, and, and then um, that can be shared. I have a much better understanding of the community as a result of that. I've changed my, my approach, so I'm much better at... Um, listening and um what what we've realized is that people are often not ready to talk about their health if they've got bigger fish to fry they've got worries about their housing worries about their children and how safe they are worries about employment and so if you don't address that then you don't you don't get to people and and this is where we we talk about hard to reach populations or easy to ignore populations but we don't understand why we can't reach them and this is why and and that's been a light bulb moment for me what kind of results have you seen yeah so uh it's actually two years 
that it's been funded as a pilot through through public health. Um, in that time, um, through the evaluation done by Imperial College London, we found that um, if you have a community health worker visiting you, um, people are uh, 47% more likely to have the immunizations that they're eligible for. They are 82% more likely to have cancer screening and NHS health checks uptake. And we found that uh, GP unscheduled GP appointments were reduced by 7% in those who are visited by a community health worker compared to those who haven't been visited. Talking to Dr. Naogi, who's been working in the practice for, for decades, uh, she said quite early on in the pilot, I feel intuitively as if the noise had gone down. So um, the, the kind of housing requests and constant kind of trying to make an appointment over non-medical issues because the GP seems to be the only person in the community, sort of a semi-official that's actually accessible. And it was nice to see that confirmed in the numbers. Have you got plans now to expand it to other parts of the practice? So um, luckily the four PCNs in Westminster are uh, very aligned. They they think about not just their own PCN, but the whole of Westminster together. And they actually think that this is a really good model in the uh, bottom 20% um, biggest sort of estates with persistent poverty all across Westminster. We're hoping to roll this out to about 25, 30 community health workers initially will uh, needs a bit of time to to roll out safely and um, integrate it. So Matt, this has now started to expand to other parts of the UK, hasn't it? Where else is doing it and how have you got it off the ground in other places? It's quite extraordinary, actually, how much it's spread So, um, in such a short space of time. But largely, this is through the work of the National Association of Primary Care, people like Nav Chana and Caroline Taylor, um, because they uh, saw this as a, as a potential really important solution for some of the pressing problems within the NHS. Mm. And so using their national footprint, their platform, um, they've been really supportive in communicating this model across different primary care settings across the country. So we now have, I think it's 11 community health and wellbeing workers in Calderdale, a dozen or so in Bridgewater, several dozen in Cornwall in the Scilly Isles, initiatives beginning in Lambeth and Southwark, I believe um, in, in Norfolk. Many, many different locations are actually exploring and achieving how to uh, get this off the ground where they are. We're really excited about that. The deployment features differ slightly in different locations because, of course, governance and funding and administration will be different wherever they are. Um, so the way in which they establish these these roles is slightly different to the experience we had in Westminster. But um, it's nevertheless really exciting that it's inspired similar initiatives elsewhere. Obviously, it's really crucial that these roles are linked in with general practice. But how would you see them funding? I mean, you said there's lots of different ways that they've been set up. So I'm assuming funding for these are coming from integrated care boards. Is that right? Or, or is it something you think that practices would be advised to fund themselves? So it's a re- this is a really complex question you know, because um, the, I suppose the financial ecosystem within the NHS is phenomenally complex and every location will have slightly different nuance. I think there's important conversations to have now at national level, I'd have to say, as to how we can establish a co-commissioning solution for a role like this because this isn't a role that is easily identified as being 
primary care exclusively or public health exclusively or community services or social care, but it, it actually benefits all of those areas immensely. I think general practitioners have a lot to gain from working with community health and wellbeing workers, just from my own personal experience and I hope from everything I've said. As a GP in Brazil, my clinical practice was improved immeasurably by the use of community health and wellbeing workers. GPs don't have the time to go out into the community and find out how people are living, what's wrong with their living environment, what's going on in their households. So this would really benefit GPs immeasurably. I imagine it would improve their registers in terms of who's got hypertension and diabetes, which have a knock-on effect on their cough points. I imagine it would improve the clinical management of people with chronic diseases. Um, it would improve early identification of dementia even and, and other mental health problems. You know, what's not to like? But you're absolutely right, it has to be integrated into primary care. But a really important message with this role is it can't be a parallel system. In Pimlico, the community health workers can enter data onto system one, for example, on the electronic patient record. They can task GPs and GPs can task the community health workers. So you start to see this integration is fundamentally important. You know, there might be people listening to this thinking, oh, I, I'd quite like a community health and wellbeing where they sound like absolutely ideal for what I need. I mean, what kind of advice to, can you give to people to, to get this off the ground? Well, as I mentioned, the, the NAPC website um, is is it's evolving, but it's a repository for some resources that we've developed um, that might be helpful for localities hearing this and interested to take it up. To take it up. Um, we've developed, for want of a better word, an operations manual, for example, which you know is tricky to do because it'll be different for different locations, but it gives the nuts and bolts of what this role is, what, what it's all about, what are the core principles in its design code that you have to adhere to in order to re- for it to really be effective. Those three things I mentioned, integration into primary care, comprehensive and universal, um, and therefore a useful resource. So the first point of departure probably is to look at that, contact the NAPC. So Connie, were there any real challenges to rolling it out? Were there, were there any real sticking points that, that were difficult that you could give people a, a, a sense of? The most difficult work is really in winning over hearts and minds on this. It's a bit of a philosophy to pivot from a transactional to a relational approach. So I think bringing people on the journey um, and and giving it time. So I mentioned before, we, we, we're kind of we're thinking in six monthly terms or yearly terms. That all doesn't work when you're really investing in relationships in the community and with other roles so so i think uh, my advice to people who want to try this on their patch would be to gather a coalition of the willing anybody who really thinks this is a good idea and wants to give this a try matt i mean you'd like this obviously to become a national thing with everybody having access to these is is that what you would you like to see happen eventually absolutely but let's not be you know naive that's going to take a lot of time and, and it's going to take conversations at the national level. The government's going to have to get involved. You know, we we need it to, to look like that. Um, but I think now is a good time to do it. So, for example, this work was mentioned in the Fuller Stocktake Report for Primary Care as a, as a best practice case study. So it's gaining attention. It's a really, really important moment now, I think, if we're going to think about scaling, to have those 
conversation so that we can identify commissioning solutions to support localities implement its role. But absolutely, I think this should be national, like they've done in Brazil. Um, the reason why they've seen a 34% decline in cardiovascular disease mortality is not, it's not by accident, it's because it's scaled to the whole country. You know, if that was a pill, we'd be taking it, right? So, so we need to think of it in those terms. And we also need to think of it, whilst I think it's important to scale in areas of highest need or deprivation first, and that's what we're looking to do and how we advise people in different localities to consider it. Start with the bottom 10 or 20% deprivation index, I think, because that's probably where the areas of greatest need are. I don't see why we shouldn't all have community health workers. If, if one thing that COVID sadly revealed for us is that we all need help at some point, at any time. We might all just need whatever social class, whatever income level, whatever colour we are, whatever ethnicity, we all might need a bit of help, a bit of advice, a bit of signposting at any time. I really do hope that people um, feel inspired by this, but also inspired by the idea of looking to low middle income countries for solutions. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to Matt and Connie for their time this week. I'm back next week for our regular news review, so please do join me then. In the meantime, don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest news affecting general practice and access a host of other resources on our website at gponline.com.